talking with George Green. He's a former invest, investment banker. He's probably the last person you'd ever expect aliens to choose to communicate with, but that's what, exactly what happened to publisher George Green. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. Taz, well, certainly, um, talk about the big picture. Um, he reveals how he was contacted, why he was chosen, and the vital message he agreed to relay. This sounds exciting, boy. George, you're in the hot seat, front row and center. Wow. Now, UFO sightings are frequently reported, but how many people can actually say they regularly communicate with space beings? George has made an agreement to publish the extraterrestrial information to awaken us earthlings so we all may be in that contact, those that choose to be, that is. And uh, George will discuss how and when he saw his first spacecraft and subsequent investigation and how things began to happen in his life. George has devoted his life to spreading the word that all is not as it seems. His free ebook, Handbook of Great Importance for the New Paradigm, has been read by millions all over the world. So you can head to his website and look at this. It's uh, www.nohoax.com. No Hoax is N-O-H-O-A-X. George Green's career extends from military service in the UFA, U.S. Air Force, where he encountered alien disc craft in a remote hangar at Edwards Air Force Base, to playing Monopoly in a corporate banking and large-scale construction and working closely with the Palladians and other benevolent intelligence to wake people up in preparation for the coming changes. George, it's always amazing how courageous one is to go forward with such a huge task on an earth where earthlings have been told so little about the truth we are surrounded in. And it's hard to get people to wake up, isn't it, George? No, oh, it's a challenge. Everybody's well, been programmed since birth. I mean, even the kids that are being hatched right now, the first thing they were given is a little computer game. So they don't think anymore. Everything's run by whatever has been programmed into them. I would think it'd be easier to program people now that all these computers are in our hands, so we can be really programmed. <laughs> well, that's what's ha- that's what's happening. That's the reason why we have uh, uh, such a mess that we have right now. Kids graduating from high school can't find a job. It's everything is all being set up, and uh, you know the electronic age is around the planet. That's all. So it's George, a change. You... I'm saying, George, did you have any kind of encounters with Palladians when you were younger? You know, I have to look back at my life and, and uh, what I call incidences and why I was in a certain place and where I wasn't. I was not aware of anything like that consciously. Actually, uh, you know, when I joined the Air Force, uh, and they put me through a year of electronic school, and then my first assignment, fortunately or unfortunately, was Edwards Air Force Base, which is the Air Force Research and Development you know, Command. And so I got to work on all the super-secret things that we had. Uh, well, one morning, uh, you probably know my story, that I went out and did the post-flight inspection on the X-15, the forward of the space shuttle. 
you know. And what happened when I finished doing it, it's, it's about, you know, five or six miles north of the base because the shuttle is nothing more than a rocket with skids on it, frankly. Anyway, uh, I <clears throat> it was 10 o'clock in the morning, and it, it was the last week in August. I'll never forget it. But it was 100 degrees at 10 o'clock, and they don't let you work out on the flight line, you know, when it's over 100. So, And I had a Jeep, and I had to turn the Jeep in unless I had mileage on it. So there was a couple hangars I hadn't been to because they were about – you know, five miles north of the main base. So I just went inside one of the hangars, and there I'm looking at a circular disc, a round craft. And I didn't think anything unusual about it except for it was round, but I've been working on a lot of strange-looking equipment. Anyway, uh, I I went back to my commander, and I said, when can I work on the round craft? And, of course, his first comment, well, you saw it? And I said, yeah. And he said, it was an ion-powered craft, I-O-N, powered craft designed by Sikorsky for use in outer space. Sikorsky was a helicopter people. And I said, well, great. When can I do it? And he said, it's still a civilian project. Now, Edwards is primarily where civilian contractors make these vehicles and then the airports test them. So, you know, I, I accepted what he had to say. Well, I just happened, this is another one of these happen, you know, stance deals. I happened to be friends with the base photographer. And he, um, I, I come back and I says, can you know, send me some pictures of the round craft. And he said, you saw that? And I said, yeah, you know, it was 10 feet away from me. So I guess that's pretty close to seeing something. And he said, what did they tell you? And I gave him the story. And he says, no, that's not true. And I said, what do you mean? He, so I went with him over to the lab and he showed me pictures of the spacecraft. That wasn't a problem because, you know, I, I saw it. But the two dead aliens got my attention. And it also made me a little mad. I was cleared for top secret. I wanted, you know, I was well off for our government. I mean, why did my commander lie to me? So, dear old me, I'm questioning. I went back down and asked him. Well, the first thing he did, well, for the first hour, was debriefing on my top secret clearance. And after that, he said, we discussed it a little bit. He said, look, when the government's ready to tell the truth about UFOs and ETs, they will. Until then, you stick to your story. Well, within about six weeks, I was transferred off the base. I was getting a little inquisitive, as you can probably tell. Anyway, they reassigned me, uh, and I uh, then I was cross-trained into nuclear missiles, so I spent a couple years in that game, too. Then the Air Force let me out, and then I headed off to uh, Colorado School of Mines, where I majored in engineering, geophysics, actually. I then got, uh, with my dad was in the meatpacking industry, and he needed some help, so I ended up going down there and helping him, and the biggest problem with the meat industry, I don't know if you're familiar with this, when the farmer raises a cow and he sells it to the packing house, he has to get paid in 24 hours because we process the animal. Well, my dad was great in helping the schools around the country. He was making the school lunch, if you know, the school lunch hamburger program at that time. Well, when we took that, we, we would process the animal, turn it into hamburger, and then we send it out to the different schools. However, there was a government deal. So we had to pay for the, the product within, you know, the basically 24 hours. But then when we sold it to the government, when do we get paid? That was like That's three forever. months later. Well, it took about two to three months. And so I had enormous accounts receivables, and I'm talking about millions of dollars. And my dad put me in charge of going to the banks. So I went down to all of the banks with my accounts receivable, and I would borrow against them. And then when the government paid us off, I would go pay them back, you know, and they would be off. Well, banks at that time had loan limits. They could loan you only up to a certain amount, like, you know, 300000 or 500000 or a million, depending on what their assets were. 
So uh, anyway, I one bank um, in Denver, it was Colfax National Bank, and Dan Sebastian was the president. He says, George, I can give you more money if you can get some of your friends to deposit their money in your bank. And I said, will you tell me what you're doing? And that's when I discovered what they call the fractional reserve system. And that's where if you put in, and I'll just give you an illustration, if I put in a million dollars into a bank on deposit, they can create out of thin air, thin air $10 million. So even though they agreed to pay you 5% interest, for instance, on a million dollars, which was $50,000, they could loan out the $10 million at 8%, which was $800,000. So they could make $800,000 on a million-dollar deposit. And they were doing that. Well, I says, you know, this is an interesting game. You guys play your, you know, you got your rules and mine. And I do have a lot of friends with money, but why don't you make it worth my mile? Why, uh, why don't you uh, pay me a fee and I'll get you the money? So we agreed on a fee, and what I did was take part of the fee that I I took in and paid it to my friends in advance. In other words, if you had $10,000, I would write out a check to you for $200 in advance, or 2%. And all you had to do was deposit your money in a one-year certificate in the bank that I told you to. So you did that, along with a lot of other people, but you were a loudmouth because all of a sudden you told people you were getting a 40% increase without any risk on your money. So all of a sudden, I had millions of dollars coming in, but I had bankers all over the country calling me too. So all of a sudden, I became very powerful because at the end of one year, what happens is you call me to see if you wanted if I was going to pay you again to leave the money in that bank. And if the bank wouldn't pay me again so I could pay you, I would move it out of that bank. Well, now that put the bank in real problem because if they loaned out $10 million and they had a million supposedly in the bank, and I pulled it out, what happens to the bank? It goes under. Well, and two things happened. The Federal Reserve either advanced money to them or FDIC took them over and liquidated them. So I became very powerful within that game, and everybody knew about me. So the first thing the Federal Reserve did was notify the state of Colorado that I had to get licensed in selling money, which I thought was funny. So I went down to them, and I said, okay, give me a license. And they said, well, we really don't know what to do. And I said, what are you talking about? We've never done this before, and we don't have a license. And I said, well, just tell me what money is. And they said, well, we don't know how to how to work on this. And I said, look, I have friends in Washington. I'll call them. I have friends with some senators at that time. I said, I'll get the accounting book for the World Bank and International Monetary Fund because they'll have the definitions, and that way you guys – I love exams. I said, you can go ahead and give me an exam and then give me a license. So I got the accounting book, and then I notified uh, the state. I said, okay, I'm ready to come down, and I said, let's go over this thing because I have a real problem. And they said, what do you mean? And I, and I said, well, here's their definition of money. If you we got time, I'll read you just a paragraph of it so you get an idea how the problem is. Now, this is from what they call the Systems of National Accounting or their accounting book. Money, it says, in the Systems of National Accounting, there's no concept or measure of money within the classification of financial assets. Money is very important as a financial variable, but the wide range of which money is defined in different countries precludes a simple definition. Even measures of narrow money, which is generally include currency and transferable deposits, may be difficult to define, as the boundary between transferable and non-transferable deposits may or may not be stable in many countries. Now, that's just the first paragraph. I got three pages of that. Now, if you were in their position, what would you do? A little confusing, isn't it? 
Yeah. <laughs> they really? don't they don't know what money is. So I said, look, arbitrarily, look, I studied law. I went, to, I, I studied law at the University of Illinois. And what happened, I said, well, the easiest thing, but look, you and I will agree that it's some kind of security. And they said, yeah, I guess we could do it that way. Well, you and I would agree that same thing. It's something. And I said, well, give me a securities exam. And he said, well, what you're doing, you have to be a principal. And I said, hey, I love exams. Bring it on. So anyway, they they went ahead and gave me the documents. So I read them all, and I said, my gosh, you have to be an accountant and an attorney in order to pass the thing. Well, I, I did pass the thing. I became a registered financial principal with the NASD. That's the National Association of Security Dealers, and a broker-dealer. But reading all the fine print, I said, my God, being a stockbroker is a license to steal because the American people are to- totally asleep of what's going on. It's a huge monopoly game. Then I got involved with the people that were playing with the monopoly game on a personal basis. Then they asked me to be the finance chairman for the election of the next president of the United States two years before he became president, and he did become president. So it showed me because of the connection. And people out here think they're voting for somebody. Hey, it's all controlled by somebody else. It's all a big lie. Well, meanwhile, let's go back to the extraterrestrial situation. In 1984, I built a house in Aspen, and my housekeeper had this book called UFO Contact from the Pleiades. Incredible color photographs of exactly the same thing I saw at Edwards. I said, wait a minute, how did these people get this book out? How come the government hasn't come forth with the truth about UFOs and ETs? So I flew down to Phoenix, and I talked to this couple who claimed to be, uh, they were investigating a man in Switzerland who claimed to be in contact with beings from the star system, the Pleiades, who said that they engineered this planet for 500 million people. And I says, look, I don't know anything about that story, but I do know those pictures are real. And I said, how can I help you kids? At that time, I got involved with the game of Monopoly. I had my own bank outside the Federal Reserve. I was building in 22 states, shopping centers, office buildings, motels, and restaurants. I became, you know, I had all the adult toys, let's put it that way. Anyway, I decided when I went down there and talked to him, I said, I'll loan you the money to publish your next edition with this premise. When you get my, uh, enough money to pay me back, go ahead and do it. And I says, end of story. You go on with your deal. I'm going to go on and build my cities. Anyway, uh Two months later, or three months later, I even forgot the time, uh, they sent me the accounting, and they'd received three times the amount of money I gave them. Well, I was there was no check or anything, so I was a little, a little upset about it. So I grabbed uh, At that time, I had uh, five airplanes, and I flew down to Phoenix, and I talked to uh, the couple, and I said, where's my money? And they said, well, we found out who you are. You don't need it. And I said, that's not the story. It was the agreement that we made. And they, it basically, they said, forget it. So uh, what I did at that point was filed suit against them, but I was so enamored because I had so much information from the, this that they had shared with me. I wanted to find out for myself. So that same day, I just grabbed the next plane and flew off to Switzerland. I uh, rented a little car in a 45-minute drive outside of Switzerland, a little town called Hinterschmidt-Rudy or behind Schmidt-Rudy. And anyway, I knocked on the door, and a young lady answered the door. Her name was Bruni. And I said, I'm here to see the, the man who, who put out all this information. I said, I put the money up for a movie being made on this, and I put the money up for the books being published. And they said, we've never heard of you. And I said, well, look, you go back and tell him. I says, if I, if I get my answers satisfied to me because the information is credible, I says, I'm going to let the world know about what this information, and the buck stops here. At that time, I was you know, fairly wealthy or at that time considered wealthy. So anyway, um, she says, well, 
Uh, I don't know. So she left. About ten minutes later, she came back and she says, "Mr. Green, I'm sorry. Uh, Shirley McLean was here two months ago and she promised to help us, and nothing has happened." And I said, "Well, hey, I guess I can't do anything about it." So I said, "Well, where's?" It was late in the afternoon, and I said, "Where's your closest hotel?" So I said. Uh, we're going to take my wife and I are going to take off on a trip over to Innsbruck, Osprey, and make a you know just a vacation out of this thing. Then, anyway, next morning, knock on my door was a, a Bruni, and she handed me a two-page message signed by Quetzal, who happened to be the command, the Palladian commander, who was in contact with a guy named Billy Meyer. And I'm sitting there, oh great! I'm looking at this stuff. In the letter, there was stuff that nobody could know unless you've been living with me. So anyway, we were invited over there, and the next week I got my mind blown. I mean, everything that I thought I knew is kind of the fudge factor. You know, we'll tell you how it works, but the real faction behind it and who's controlling it is is just a different game. Anyway, that's where I became in contact with the extraterrestrials. Uh, at that point, I said, look, the world should know about this information. And so what I agreed to do at that point was to assist Billy uh, to get his information out, and I said, but you, you've you signed a contract with the people down in Phoenix, giving them the worldwide rights to your story. I said, look, I've been in, I get into a lot of lawsuits merely because I'm a developer. And I said, I don't want to have any problem about it. What I'm going to do is I'll contact my attorneys. At that time, I had a house in Beverly Hills, and my attorneys were the attorneys for the Screen Actors Guild. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll have them take care of the contract. I mean, if anybody can break a contract, they will. You know, the entertainment industry is full of malarkey, as you know. So anyway, I flew up, and my attorneys were Dern Mason and Flown. Uh, anyway, I, I talked to Darren. He says, well, we'll see what we can do about it. He thought I was a little incredulous because I'm talking about extraterrestrial things, right? Anyway, um, about a month later, he called me on the phone. He says, come over to the office. So I did. And he says, uh, we've got it arranged. You fly Billy over, Billy Meyer, over to the United States, and we'll have a hearing in front of the judge. And he says, we'll, get, we'll make it so that you can go ahead with your agreement with he and the ETs. I says, fine. So from his office in Beverly Hills, we called Switzerland. I'm talking to Billy. He speaks English. And I said, Billy, I'll send you the money to come on over here. He says, remember when you were with me, I showed you pictures of the destruction of, of uh, California, the San Francisco, of a, a big major earthquake. He says, I have three children. I'm safe here. I don't know when it's going to do a, cure, uh, a curb, but it's coming up. So I'm saying, yeah, I saw the pictures. So I saw San Francisco totally leveled, but that's all part of the San Andreas thing. That's going to affect all of Southern California. So anyway, I can understand why he didn't do it. Well, my answer back to him, I says, yeah, I guess. We're going to have to let the ETs find another way to get me the information to get out to the world. So my wife and I got out. At that time, I had a little 450 SL convertible, you know, a little Mercedes. Anyway, we got out. We started down the highway, down by the airport, and they had one of their beam ships in broad daylight follow us for about 30 minutes right on the highway. I mean, I kept pointing it, pointing it at it from other people. I don't know if they could see it or not, but we certainly did. Anyway, that put me into a whole new category. All of a sudden, I'm being monitored on everything that I have, and basically uh, my communication from them has become, um, right now it's fairly slow because we're ending in a different cycle right now. They've given me enough information. I'm doing my job. That's trying to wake people up to who and what they are and what you can do to prepare for what's coming down. Now, meanwhile, during this whole period of time, when I was asked to be the finance chairman for the next president of the United States, I'm sitting in meeting with the world leaders. 
and I'm, I'm, you know, just to give you an idea, I'm looking at them when they're asking me, and the first thing I asked, of course, was, uh, what does the finance chairman do? And um, they said, well, they said, you sit down with Ted. So I'm sitting with Ted Kennedy. You've probably heard of him. Anyway, Ted says, well, George, you're going to love the job. We're going to send you out to all the state Democratic functions to raise money for the party. And he said, we'll take care of you later. In other words, put you in a position in the government if you want it. And I, just at that point, uh, he made some comments that I won't repeat on the air right now. What made me really mad, I just got up, didn't say another word with Ted, and I walked across the room. I'm talking to Pierre Trudeau and his wife. And Pierre at that time was the Prime Minister of Canada, just to give you an idea of some of the people that were in the room. Anyway, I'm talking to them, but right in front of them, I'm standing there looking at there's this little half cigar box full of white powder, uh, cocaine. His, you know, Pierre's wife was a cocaine addict, but a lot of those people take that kind of stuff. Anyway, what I decided, I said, look, guys, I, I just started this $100 million project. Uh, you know, I'll let you guys know on Monday. Now, this is on a Friday. On Monday, I told them I decided I didn't want to be part of their deal. Well, during that weekend, I got uh, laid out a lot of direct com- communication on what's going on on the planet, what the guys that are behind the scenes within our government and other governments, frankly, uh, what their plans are for this planet. And at that point, I said, wait a minute, you know, I don't want to be part of this because what they're planning on is reducing the world's population down to 500 million, which is what the extraterrestrials told me when I was in Switzerland. And that's all it was. It was engineered for 500 million. They've actually built a monument in Georgia, just north of Atlanta, called the Georgia Guidestones. Uh, you're Listeners can look it up on the Internet. It'll tell you exactly what they got planned. But people won't believe any of this stuff anyway. Well, meanwhile, uh, a few years ago, I was contacted again. I was building some stuff in Vegas. Uh, They asked me, this is great, they asked me to build a, it says, prisoner of war camp, right on the contract. I'm looking, this is in downtown Las Vegas. I say, wait a minute, what's this all about? So I Took a contract, took the share of this contract, and I took it over to my friend, who was head of the FBI for Southern California, Ted Gunderson. And I, I said, Ted, tell me, tell me what you got. Uh, tell me a little bit about this. So I gave him the information. He come back a couple of days later. He said, George, they're building them all over the country. Today they call them the FEMA camps. You know, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Right. Just the last four weeks, I was over in another state, and they're advertising on TV for people to come man them. So I have an idea they're getting ready for what they have planned, and the plan is to get a war started in the Middle East. Now, they were supposed to get it started when the documents we had. Uh, when I'm sitting with the guys that are planning on taking over the world, they were going to get the war started in the year 2000. That's the reason why Bush is bombing the hell out of the Middle East. They didn't get it going because... Just because they have a plan doesn't make it's going to, you know, finish through. Well, right now they're on a fast scale to try to get it going right at this minute, and that's to begin World War III. Now I can tell you more results on that stuff, but meanwhile I know they're going to collapse the dollar. They've got. Uh, I, I said with the president of the company who's making the new debit card. Are you familiar with the debit cards? The new one. Yeah, or, you go, you, if you got if you're on Social Security, they'll give you a oh. debit card. If you don't have a bank account, if you get laid off, you get a debit card. If you go to any place, they give you a debit card. That's a little card because even though they printed the new money in the United States, they're not issuing it because they're going to put everybody on this new card, which will have your medical records, it'll have everything on it, and have a little chip in it. 
fact, if you go to Europe now, you got to have it in your car. It won't work. Now, this is all planned, all set up on it. Well, meanwhile, the ETs and stuff say, well, if we can wake up enough people, we can maybe change the ending of the story. They said maybe. Or we'll awaken those that need to be awakened at this time in order to get ourselves, quote, uh, set up in emotion will be basically in some time of uh, you know physical experience will be away from all of the things that are going on so you can get prepared for what's coming down because uh, frankly the guys in Washington we have the best government money can buy and I don't care who you vote for it's controlled by somebody else Paul Volcker and I uh, flew back on from the he at the meeting up there uh, in Aspen, we flew back together on that thing, and I said, you know, you're the most powerful man in the world. And he reminded me, he said, no, I'm just the front man. And uh, at the meeting, I said, uh, when they asked me, they said, Jimmy Carter, who was going to be the next president. And I said, who is he? And they said, he's the, he was a one-term governor of, of Georgia, as you know. And, I, and they said he was a Democrat. And I said, I've been voting Republican. And Paul Boker reminded me, he says, we don't care which one are in. We control them both. Because they control the money. So if they're controlling the money, who controls the Federal Reserve? Well, then you go back to the stockholders of the Federal Reserve, and most people, even your listeners, are not aware that the Federal Reserve is a private bank. It has nothing to do with our government. So we're playing this huge monopoly game, but somebody else owns the game. So they're, they, uh, the ones with the money, uh, are building underground cities, isn't that correct? Well, they don't even consider it the money. It's the power because it's more than just money. Remember I tried to give you the definition of it? There's all kinds of definitions of it. It's the power. Kissinger said this. The absolute aphrodisiac is power. So we'll put you in a position of power, and we'll give you all the monopoly, and you'll get up there. As you know, they have the billionaires club, as you know, that meets once a year, and there's always somebody there, the Federal Reserve, to keep them in line. But once they get up to that point, they don't want to change their lifestyle. They don't want to tell people or anything. And what do they have anyway? A bunch of stuff that's going to be going away. 94% of all currency supposedly transferred today is all debit. In other words, it's checks, MasterCard, Visa, you know, or, or thereabouts. It's not real money. So they're going to get rid of, quote, the real money. And everybody's going to be a debit so they can tell where you sent your money, where you got it from, and so the system as such, because they'll create these taxes, and you know they're talking about 50% of the people don't pay taxes. Well, the incentive in business is to create business that has an incentive. So they give you all kinds of rules and tax rules so you can write off almost everything that you have so businesses generally don't pay taxes. It's only the little worker bees down there. And 100%. 100% of the taxes paid in the United States, not 80%, 100% just goes to interest to the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is advancing money, keeping our country going. And who's the Federal? Well, David Rockefeller is the biggest stockholder in the United States. But just to give you an idea, we got um, you know, the Canada, every country is involved with this thing. It's not, uh, there's a few of them that are, are setting up to get outside of it. They have their own currency, and they all go through. If you look at it, all goes through the Bank of International Settlements, which is in Switzerland, which keeps track of all the world trading of money, right? How do we do it between places? And what is money? And how do you get the values? And so people make all kinds of soap money again, but the ones in power behind the scenes know what they got planned. And the Plan 2000, which Jimmy Carter put in writing, actually every congressman, every senator got it, calls for this war to get started in the Middle East. I put a... 
kind of a summary of it on my website called Armageddon the Plan 2000. And I name some of the names. But they don't care. They don't care because people out here won't believe it or they're going to go down and they've got, quote, some God that's going to come save them. Well, they wrote those books too. So the whole thing becomes a lie. When I came in contact with the ETs, they say, we'll wake you up. We'll try to get you going, and if you'll help. And so I've been giving away, as you probably know, the handbook. I've given away thousands of them all around the planet. And a lot of them, millions of people are looking at the stuff and making it. But then it comes back to you. You know what Christ said, what I do, you can do, and greater. That's taken on responsibility. Most people don't want to be responsible for what's coming down, and yet we've created this enormous mess. George, uh, who's really above the, the people behind the scenes? Um, you mean the ones behind it? Actually, indirectly, you can have a group of ETs that are hoping we're going to destroy ourselves. That's kind of the bad guys. Uh, I'm involved with a group of ETs that are trying to wake us up. There's many groups going on, and there's many, you know, basically uh, in this world we have like, like three dimensions, and we have to understand what we are is nothing more than a spirit inside this, what I call rent-a-wreck, our body. Uh, there is no such thing as death. Our soul continues on. Uh, this this body is for our experience. The problem in this creation we have at this minute, we go through what they call the veil of forgetfulness. In other words, most people forget previous lives, and they don't know. We also have glimpses of the future. Now, the future is not here yet. It's a combination of everybody's thought. Remember in the Bible, where in John 1, where it says, in the beginning there was the Word? Do you remember that? Most, yeah. most people do. Well, if you tr- tr- if you change one word in that, in the beginning it was thought. Isn't words just thought out loud? And if you meditate, aren't you putting out thought? And if you're hoping to, to you know, do anything, it's all thought. And that's basically what we are, is a product of the thought of the creation itself. I even asked the ETs, well, what's above the creation? Because you got to, you know, don't limit yourself. And, you know, their answer, which I thought was pretty good, uh, there's still mysteries for them. But meanwhile, they're given, they live to be, the ETs I was involved with live to be about 1,000 years old. Um they have a lot of technology, a lot of stuff, a lot of spacecraft are being seen every day right now, frankly. Uh, the news, either covered up. We will be seeing more as the escalation of this world reduction in population. Now, the Plan 2000 calls for the war to get started. They want to hit Israel, frankly. When Israel gets hit by a nuclear bomb, uh, that begins World War III no matter what. The reduction is by, quote, all means necessary. That's biological weapons, in other words, diseases, as well as anything they can. They'll round up the people, and they're going to select, uh, frankly, anybody over age 44 will be eliminated unless they have a talent that they can be used. And it doesn't make any difference what you, know, what you are. Uh, there's only one race on the planet, according to the ETs, and that's called the human race. Uh, there may be different other races that are visiting us. In fact, I know for sure, because last time I was in Switzerland, there was a guy seven meters tall leaning against the barn and the neighbors. So, you know, we got all kinds of things going on, but people themselves, I mean, it, it will just basically change your where, uh, the way you think or act or look at everything, because we've been so programmed by so many lies. 
and they just all they have to do is change a couple words, and you believe everything. If people want to believe somebody else, and they don't want to take responsibility, or they're looking for somebody to be, the, you know, their boss is going to make sure they got the money coming in. Well, what if money doesn't exist? What if this is whole things an illusion? That's what we're looking at right now. And the guys up above. Well, you don't have a lot of options at this minute. The option is to get yourself prepared with as much information that you can on what their plans are. Get to, uh, my, the ETs are giving us instruction in the handbook for the new paradigm, the book that, you know, they can download it free on my website. I want them to read it a couple of times. By doing just reading it, you're given permission for the extraterrestrials to communicate with you directly. There's no in-between. George, in about uh, the end of last year, CNN um, brought forth a disclosure for those who work on the bases, and they have they have literally talked about when they try to you know let missiles um, and aiming them let them go off, that the ETs really did come down. The UFOs did dismantle their capabilities. They don't want war on the planet. And so I, you know, this was very encouraging to be able to well, view this. And well, I, let me give you, know, you, let me, that's a story that was going out. Let me give you an illustration of what, see, we have a lot of stories going on. you got to discern it. We dropped two bunker buster nuclear bombs over in, um, uh, over in the Middle East. This is last year. Now, nuclear is a no-no within the universe. That's period. They don't want that to happen because they say that the nuclear energy will disrupt the soul energy, which is a no-no on, on the big levels. So they have been going down and intercepting and stopping some of these things that are nuclear set up on it. But they're not allowed to interfere because of the first law. The first law of the universe is the law of attraction. What you put out, you're going to get back. Well, if I interfered with you, I would assume some of the karma, if you want to call it, of the action. Now there, yeah, there's a lot of there's ETs that are out here trying. Their, their total job is stabilizing the planet. Now, how do they stabilize them? The crop circles. They're everywhere. They're in India. They're in Canada. Up in Montana. You know, you read about the ones in England. But the crop circles are set up with certain frequencies in order to keep the planet stabilized because it's predicted that we're going to be flipping on our axes, as you know, in the next few years. Which ETs are saying, yes, this is an occurrence that's going to come. They're also warning us because of all this, we're going to have major earth shifting right now, beginning right now. Actually, they said when um, Vesuvius went off a few years ago, that was the beginning of major changes that are happening or structurally around the planet. So you're, what you're doing is looking at, we've done everything to the planet we can probably mess up. I mean, I, I was over in China. We have cities over there. The pollution's so bad you can't even see across the street. And you know, and they got a billion, three hundred million people. Unless you know what a billion, what that numbers are, you have to go over there and walk among them to find out for yourself. And then you go to India, which has over a billion people. Also, we have, as you know, less than three hundred million people. So we're looking at all these things, and we have a, a, a relatively okay. But then you look at the big cities, which are we are destroying right now in the United States. And we're polluting the entire planet. The first nuclear explosion happened on this planet in our recent times. It's happened in ancient times, like the Dead Sea out in Nevada. You probably heard of that, or the Dead Zone. That was a nuclear explosion that went off there thousands of years ago. 
So the planet has gone through this many times before, and we're getting ready for this other one right at this minute. Now, from the ETs on the other side that's saying which ones or which ones are above there, guys up there, I don't. I really don't even care at this minute because I want to know, as they said, discern everything. The first letter that or first job you have is discern the information. I mean, I want people to go out and to challenge me and try to find out the truth. I provide everything I can. I live my story. It isn't a question of reading other books. I grabbed a plane and flew out all over the world to find out for myself if this was real. I even flew down to the jungles in, in Brazil, and there's a group of ETs that look human, but they're, as we know it, but they're basically plants. They're walking plants because they're, they're, their system is chlorophyll. Now, what they were doing, they were seeing if they could live with this because we're killing off the oxygen on the planet. Well, a plant takes carbon dioxide and makes oxygen, so I don't care what they look like. They're my brothers, right? They actually gave me a um, a little... Uh, it's about the size of a pea, and it was uh, g- kind of gummy-like. Anyway, it was a cure for cancer. And I, I, of course, I grabbed the plane immediately. I flew that to Chemitox Laboratories in Boulder, Colorado, and for three days we did a spectrographic analysis. Now, in doing a spectrographic analysis, you dissolve the substance, so it come up. Well, the first thing I did was take the documents we had, and I flew them down to Dr. Alan Heineck. Do you remember that name? That was our government liaison, supposedly between the ETs and and our and our and us. And his job was to investigate. Uh, well, you see, close encounters of the third kind. You'll see him in it. But he was. They were providing all this information so people will ponder it as we become more and more aware of the extraterrestrial situation as they're monitored. They're not going to interfere. It. They're going to come down. They are doing things as they can without causing too much commotion. But you know everybody's got a different agenda. I just know what our what our guys are. Our guys are have you know less than twenty million Americans left alive, and that was well, the purpose was just, of the enemy prisoner war camps. Yeah, I I, I was just really um, bringing forth you know we've on our planet we've been lied to from for eons, and bringing forth it's easy to bring forth war when you've been lied to and people don't understand what the truth is. So it's, it's you know, you talk to many different cultures and everything, no matter what color or creed, and you find that people really don't want more. And so it's really bringing the truth forward and allowing them to see a different um, picture. And so, you know... Um, It'll take one stance at a time here, but bringing it forward will certainly allow people to back up and not want to necessarily bring up their guns. Well, here's the problem. Forty percent of the world, that's a little over two billion people, are existing on less than $2 a day. Now, I fly around the world. You go down and look, there's no communication. I mean, they're making a joke about everybody's going to have a cell phone and all that, which is helping educating people and being programmed into the way they want them to think. But looking at most of the world on this point, you have China over there with a billion-plus people over there, a billion, 300 million. They have 100 million just uh, warriors at this time, the men. Remember, they had a period of time where they didn't... uh, 
uh, allow girls to be born, or they were, you know, they took them. So now you have a big segment. That's basically set up. Uh, when I was in Beijing with the leaders over there, they told me it's 5,000 years, it's our turn to run the world. And so basically they're doing it by the economics. By economics, they're taking our money and they're buying everything, as you know. They control oil every place. They own the, the second largest oil companies in, in Canada. You go to Vancouver, which is half Chinese, and you'll see all these different things that are happening all over the planet because they're buying everything in Latin America right now using the dollars, knowing that they're going to be worthless. They they even bought $2 billion worth of oil from uh, not only Venezuela, but $2 billion worth from uh, Ecuador. And, of course, that's to help their systems going, but it's taken up natural resources. And the energy stream that we've been using, using oil, is polluting the entire planet. There is abundant free energy. George. Yeah. Yeah. George, oil is is really it's a dirty way to live. That's and right. There has it, it has been proven that there is zero point energy to bring forth that we won't have to use oil, and it's about time we get started in that direction. Well, um, we have it. You know, we have it, but they won't let them put it out because it's they, all that money and power again. My my who my is son they? is it? Pardon? Who's the, they? The, the companies that run the thing, because the kids who make all these free, like John Bedini is a close friend of mine, you know, who's put out the free energy, you know, magnetic motors and stuff. And John and I were talking yesterday, and we were discussing the situation, and he says, we can't get the stuff out there. The big companies won't allow it. They'll either buy the patent or or seal it. And if my son's a nuclear physicist and a senior engineer with Bechtel, and they've given him a job, a $12 billion job, to go to Australia right now to take the natural gas and convert it to propane because we don't have any oil. We're running out of oil, regardless of what they're talking about. And the Bakken oil, all of the fracturing up there, pull it up on the Internet, see where all the earthquakes are occurring. But meanwhile, that oil is maybe, you know, uh, they're hitting... Uh, 25,000 barrels a day of oil. Now, that sounds like a lot, but we, the United States is using up 25 million barrels a day. So what we're looking at is major changes. Um, up there where they're using all the shale in, in, in Canada, they're making a lot of money up there converting it, but it's heavy polluter on the planet, as you know. And there are other energy systems that people are looking at, and the ETs have shared some of that with me, and then I've talked with other ones, and our government itself has extraterrestrial craft. Our government itself has taken their craft to the moon and to other places, but they keep you on the old, you know, solid-state propulsion systems. So we have two different games going on. It's like, okay, what's really happening and who's really in control? And how do we get the information out to people so they can have something so we can continue on the game? So they tell you, okay, look at wind power. Wind power represents less than one-tenth of one percent of the energy. And the norm, And the only reason why it's up there is because of the tax advantages of putting the stuff up. I mean, when they first started all the windmill farms in California, I was out there, you know, in Bakersfield and there. They give you three times, whatever you invested, you got to write off three times the amount you put into it to put up the wind generators. And they don't produce enough energy. They're not that they don't do it, but they don't produce enough energy without the government subsidizing it to keep them going. But I wasn't talking about wind energy. I was talking about zero-point energy. And well, zero-point, point, where do you get it from? Uh, the atmosphere. And well, people know how to do this. It's out there, George. 
Oh, I know that. It's out I know there, that. but the patents haven't been released. And um, they have been released enough, and many people do know about them. That's, That's where, right. where we really need to go. We need to delineate all of this oil stuff. I mean, we're we're looking at refreshing our earth, bringing it back to to really some some truthfulness, being able to uh, help people to change their lives. And there must be other technology along with that to support people in producing food. That's quite easy compared to what we do now. Well, well except for your... That's right. Except for one thing, you've got a cartel that controls the oil around the world. You've got a cartel that's sitting down, and they're aware of the coming earth changes. Look at the United States. Forty percent of it's going through a drought right now. Look at the environment that's changing because of all that. Uh, that's being say, manipulated by, by, by technology. Weather is right. manipulated right. by technology. So, I mean, all of this, people need to become aware so that they can really take a stance with government, with corporations, whatever. No, stop it. Don't, don't even go that way. When one out of three people in the United States work for the government, when you come up to a government employee, and I know these guys, when you go up to a government guy and say, look, I've got this, you know, we're going to help save everything else, where do they get their paycheck? From the government. And where they don't want to upset what they've got because they are in a belief system that they're going to be taken care of forever. It's like the postal employees right now. What's happening in the last 60 days? They were promised that they wanted $5 billion to put into the, quote, retirement programs for the last two months. There's no money there. So the people's belief systems are changing. But your Palladians that you're in contact with, they realize there's technology to bring food on this planet that we don't have to do like what we're doing. Everybody yeah. will be plentiful. And you you know this. Um, this is kind of information we we need for for you, I mean, to get out and, and share with people so that people can wake up. Yes, it will be a big transition, but, I, you know, we're really looking at changing here. Um really making everything, you know, you look on this planet and it is so much area that isn't even involved in having habitation, you know, um, where people, it's open and wide spaces. Um, People know this. You get outside the cities and everything, you know. Well, I think the the first thing we need to do is population control. Well, man, but that's what their program is, to reduce the population and, like you say, population control. And that's they what they're looking at. Put out a, all they have to do is put out a plague, which I hear they already have. In Africa, there's a horrible plague. And well, they've got, they got them started over here, too. You got to, They're going to be all over the place, the diseases and everything they're setting. But remember, that's population control and population reduction to get back what they've considered. I mean, I, if you go to World Watch Institute, if you've been to Washington, D.C., about five blocks north of the White House, I, I mean, I spent all over all day one day going over all the uh, all the, the major think tanks in the world and all the big corporations provide money to them so they can keep track of what's happening to the environment, what's happening to the input of, on everything. And so you look at all, and that's part of the basis of the Plan 2000, which Jimmy Carter put in writing, which called, in order to make this work, we've got to reduce the world's population. And, yes, we're messing up the planet big time because look what's happening at, at both of the poles. We've got melting of the ice caps. We got. They're admitted this week that the temperature of the ocean has gone up three degrees around the equator. 
that's causing enormous weather changes on top of it to affect everything. So we get parts of the world right now are enormous droughts. We have in other parts of the world where they're having flooding. And this is all being manipulated in two things. Man's done it. We've done all this thing. And the ET say we're not we're not here to save you. When somebody tells you to save it, you got to save yourselves, and it's better off doing it in small groups. And that's all spelled out in the little handbook, frankly. And there's two other books after it to bring people up to speed. So what can a small group do? I mean, we, a small well, group can't wake up the na- uh, the. That's not your job. Your job is to wake each each one of you to get together at this time. It's like my last message is from the ETs where it said there's too few of the people waking up on the planet to make any significant difference and urging us all to get together with other people of like minds to support each other in the days ahead because they're going to be difficult. But we're still going to have a remnant. So we're going to look at a remnant. So how do we make a choice? Those that are educated and get away from all of these, you know, belief systems that are telling us it's all going to be saved and it's okay. Each one of us are going to have to do it. Each one of us are going to have to be responsible for searching out the information like you're talking about on free energy stuff or zero-point energy. I mean, i got devices. And I go to my – you can just – Type in my name, George Green, on Google, and you'll see a little a little motor I have that's not connected to anything. It's magnet, right? That's right. So it's all it's all over. We have the de- deal, but how do you apply them? I was talking with some other people. I said, oh, "What I'm going to do in order for me to get it out is I'm, I'm, I can make little kits so people can have them as a toy. That way, you can sit down there and you know add on to it. Because if you've got a spinning top that just keeps spinning, you ought to be able to add on to it, right? Or connect up to it to create a field to produce electricity, which helps you do all your other things. Now, can people build those? Um I don't know. It cost me four bucks. It, it cost me four dollars the last time I went over to um, a Radio Shack and got the magnets and the little. All you needed was some speaker magnets and uh, a round uh, speaker magnet. I mean, you know, the little the little magnets like you have them when you play with the little dogs. They have those little ones. Anyway, we took those and put it around it, and then you can see it. I have it on the internet again. You can see the little motor running, and you can see the stuff. The key can that I found out was. Can you yeah, run a house but, on something like that? Uh, yeah, you really can. But meanwhile, look at the houses. Everybody going changing to the new light system, you know, the LED lights. They don't take any power. So the only real power you're going to need, because you want to have instant heat, right? You know, you could use them for doing that, but I think there's other ways of doing creating heat to cook your food, for instance. Um, but meanwhile, we're starting looking at other things. We should be all vegetarian, but some people have to eat meat too. So you go back to looking at other things. I mean, but I think look how many. Also, George, you've been involved with Pleiadians, and you also realize they, that they have technology that can develop food just instantly. They show people how to do this, and it's uh, it's it's not close. I mean, I mean it's. You know, it will be able to be shared with people. People worry about money and that kind of thing, about the whole system collapsing. But I think eventually we're looking at some real transition here. And um, the movie uh, Thrive was put out, and if people are not aware, um, you know, that's it's free on the Internet. You can download it and you can look at it. And um, and there's, there is, I mean, really, I, I uh, yes, there is, 
probably a lot of rumblings and things that we're going to have to be going through, but we're here to bring compassion and really work with people and support them. And I know that we can do this, George. You know that there's stuff out here that we can support people with in a good way. Well, I've been look. I backed a lot of people in their their ideas on getting stuff out, you know, both financially and put it out. And I've been on, as you know, I've been on hundreds of radio programs on TV. I've been uh, lecturing in other countries. I'm, I'm president. Uh, I get friends that are president of other countries. I've been with, and I'm, in fact, I'm on the way down to another one that wants to change their currency. So, and I'm we're working on that too. So, uh, we the, the game is. How do we make it so there's a sustainable society in a certain areas? And we're looking at the United States, which is in major change, because we have become the most hated country in the world. I mean, it, we just are. It's because of our stream behind the plate. Look, we have military in all kinds of places around there. What are we doing over in Germany? What are we doing in those other places? Trying to police the world? It's a, it's a real fascinating game to watch it all. I can say when I was in. <laughs> well, we don't have any money anyway. It's it's and well, all the money. The the Federal Reserve keeps it advancing money to keep our country going because they keep playing it. And the bankers in New York. I mean, it's it's unbelievable when they this the, the all the firms went broke and then the government quote the Federal Reserve went in and pledged the American people to bail out all the stock market, which is a lie. People, all that, that's greed again. All they want to do is think they're going to make money. And the stockbrokers, the only thing they make money is trading, right? Once stock has been issued, the only thing it's good for is toilet paper, frankly. And as well, long as people China still believe a piece of stock is worth money, that's it. It's not. How does China play in this role? Because well, they're they're sitting back with their people over there. They're getting, you know, not that they don't have problems because they do, but their system is set up in a motion where they have so many people, they got to take care of them. That's the reason why they're buying all the natural resources in the world. Well, they're going to control the food. You know, they looked at uh, United States, they, uh, at the upper Midwest, where we're talking, you know, Montana, you know, North Dakota, and all the rest of it have big fields out there. They can grow food and southern. Southern uh, Canada. Now, Canada has a lot of water, and that's the most valuable mineral on the planet. So they're looking at that. They're looking at other parts of the world that they can do it. When you're well, talking, you know, I'm, get into it. <laughs> well, but I've been like I've been down in Australia, uh, out in the outback. There's nothing there. It's just absolutely nothing. They don't. Ha it's arid. There's parts of Australia that's never had water. Just to give you an idea, we think, and like us, go look at down in Arizona and the parts of that you've driven through there. There's nothing there. We have to have the water to go along with it, and that's the most critical thing on the planet, and we're using it up, and we're just messing everything up. Anyway, my my blessings to everybody that's listening to our program. I hope I triggered them, and you've hoped that they've done it. So at least go to my website, nohoax.com, and, and read some of the articles and stuff we have on there. Or I hope you download the handbook for the new paradigm, because it is an instruction manual written by the ETs. Then you can all be in. Then you can all take on your responsibility. It's like Christ said, "What I do, you can do, and more." Mm -hmm. So that's where we're here. Well, we're going to have some interesting times ahead of us for sure. Yes, and, and challenging. And I and I thank you for having me on the air. Any other questions that you have? Well, we really oh. thank you for being with us. 
you, uh, Paula, do you have any other questions? Um, not really, because okay, my question is: Does China have anything to do with the uh, Federal Reserve? Because China's loaning us all this money. China, no, China knows what's going on with the Federal Reserve. They don't care about that. They, they're probably the richest country, as you know. But China is now making deals directly with Russia, so they're going to use their own currency. China's making their own deal with Brazil, so they're exchanging their currencies between them too. Uh, China's making the deal with our largest trading partner, which is Japan. Now, Japan has created an enormous amount of stuff, and people forget how they got rich in the first place, and that was taking all the. Uh, the offshore oil, and then processing it. The stuff up in Alaska is high sulfur. So they sent in the refineries were over there. Of course, we introduced the nuclear, and that's been a new can of worms because the nuclear energy is spreading, as you know, and it's going all over the planet. And nuclear, you know, it forget about what's going on. All the nuclear testing we did before, exploding nuclear bombs in the higher atmosphere, that is what's eating holes through the ozone. I mean, we, you know, airplanes fly between thirty and 40,000 feet, as you know, generally. And we got uh, 5,000 airplanes an hour running through the air stream right now. If you load a plane up in Seattle to go to Miami, it'll take 20 tons of fuel. They, weigh your, they, they uh, measure their fuel in pounds and weight because they have to figure out how much they're going to take. But the, you do think they're burning all that fuel? No, it's going up there, and they're, half of it's going out, and that's causing all that mist and everything else you're con. Well, above that, our country, as well as others, have exploded nuclear bombs just to see the reaction. And, you know, back in the when they started doing all this stuff in the late 40s and stuff, well, these nuclear ones have put radiation around the planet and has eaten holes through the ozone, and now we have what? The gamma and ultraviolet rays are coming down, and the, when I was in Washington, we're killing off a thousand life forms a day right now. Now we got lots of life forms, but you're seeing the escalation on it. Meanwhile, we've uh, basically raped the ocean. The fish are now be—they either have to be fed over here. The ones that there's no big fish left. You can just see that. A lot of animals are going away right now because of the drought and the corn and everything else. A lot of farmers have sold all their meat, so you're going to see meat $10 a pound here. So a um, suggestion is to start looking at things that you can take care of, and that's chickens and your food that you can grow in your backyard or in your little place. And the other big thing you've got to get ready for because of what we've done to the environment is winds of three to 400 miles an hour on the surface of the planet. Now, what that mean is I, I flew down to Italy, Texas, and we built some of the monolithic domes. These are concrete buildings. That's the only ones that are going to withstand what's coming up. But people don't like living in a dome, but, but I build them, just so you know, just to see how easy it was to do it. And anybody, that's a do-it-yourself project. You can build one in a week. All you do is well, blow up the balloon. Yeah, blow up the balloon and then... And, you know, put your foam in for insulation and put your reinforced steel and then blow concrete against it. you got everything to cover yourself. And it's not that expensive if you do it yourself. Well, everybody can see everything that we talked about today on your website, nohoax.com. And we've, unfortunately, have ran out of time. So thank you, George, <laughs> for being with us. For Have a good day. Audience. Uh, we've been okay. talking to George Green. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, George. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay.